All right. So, Pastor Matt and the fam are on a much-needed vacation, so you're stuck with me today. Haha. <laughs> I've got you. So, no, I'm excited for what um, what uh, what I'm sharing this morning as I read through this story, and you'll notice. Um, we're going over Genesis 23 through 50, so we're covering quite a bit of scripture this morning. Uh, but I am excited to kind of go through that with you today. Um, and so last week, you focused a lot on Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham. And what we're focusing on this week is Abraham's family. Uh, we're going to kind of go through with his son, with his grandsons, and then with his great grandsons. We're going to talk about the story, how it passes through uh, through those those gentlemen, how it passes through Abraham's family. And so, um, just to establish this, the plan, what we're talking about, right? This, that's the series we are in. The Bible is the story of God's plan to establish a place full of people who live out their purpose in His presence. Um, and so, that's, that's what we're chatting about. We're going to talk about um, kind of four different coordinates and where... Um, just, we're just going to establish how those coordinates apply to the story, how the story applies to those, those coordinates. So we're going to talk about the people, who the story is about, okay? And then we're going to talk about the place, where their home is. We're going to talk about the presence of God, how He communicates, how He, um, how he talks, how He speaks with, uh, with the people, and then the purpose, what God commands them to do. Um, and so with that, we're going to start off with uh, Genesis 26. 1 through 6, and we're going to establish those coordinates pretty early on. Uh, we're just going to establish those, and we're going to, we're going to talk about how, um, how those are lived out, in a sense. And so Genesis 26, 1 through 6 says, Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and, I, and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed Gerard. So Isaac is Abraham's son, right? So Isaac um, is, is the next in the family line, in a sense. And we see God speaking with Isaac, telling him to do something. So we're going to establish the people first. And so in terms of who this story is about, well, the story is about Isaac, Jacob. That's supposed to say Joseph. That's why I kept messing up when I was practicing. Okay, that was, Anyway, supposed to say Joseph. Excuse me on that one. Sorry. And others. So Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And others, and so those others are going to be uh, Jacob's brother Esau, and then the brothers of Joseph. And there's eleven of those, and so that's who the story is about: Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and others. And then, in terms of the place, where is their home? Their home is the Promised Land, right? We talked about Canaan and how that's the Promised Land, um, and how people aren't very good at staying where God tells them to stay. But that's where that's what God says to Isaac: Stay where I t- tell you to live, and, and just don't go to Egypt. Stay there. And so their home, ideally, is the Promised Land. But as we'll find out, that doesn't end up happening. Right? They don't end up staying where God wants them to stay. But where is their ideal home? It is the Promised Land. Now, in terms of the presence, how can they meet with God? Well, God God chooses how He meets with them. 
God chooses how He meets with them. And so if we were to read through all Genesis 23 through 50, which we definitely do not have time to do, we would see that God, God meets with these people in several different ways. Right? He, he speaks to them in, in dreams. He um, comes to them through angels of the Lord. He actually um, also physically appears to uh, one of the people that we talk about, and we're not going to talk about the story, but he physically appears to them and actually wrestles with them for an entire night, which is a very interesting story, and I encourage you to read it. Um, but he wrestles with Jacob for an entire night. Um, so he, God chooses how he meets with his people. And in terms of the purpose, what did God tell them to do? Well, he told them to stay in the land. Essentially, he told them to trust him. Trust me, stay in the land. I will take care of you. Stay here. Trust me. And if this sounds familiar to you, it's because it's kind of the same thing that he told Abraham. Trust me. Stay in the land. Go to the land that I tell you to go to. I promise you I'll give you this land. I'll give you numerous descendants. You will bless the nations. It's similar because guess what? That promise is carrying forward to Abraham's son Isaac. Now we're going to look at what the people do with this promise, what the people do in terms of this promise. But in terms of establishing these coordinates, ideally they're going to trust God and they're going to stay in the land, and that's what God commands them to do. He appears to them in different ways. But literally, the verse after verse 6, right? we read 1 through 6 of chapter 26, literally the very next verse, the very next verse would say this. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Now, does that sound familiar? If you were here last week, you would have heard Abraham did the same thing. But this is his son, Isaac. Isaac is now doing this. Isaac says, no, she's my sister. Please don't kill me, right? Because he's afraid that they're going to kill him on account of his wife, Rebecca. Now, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebecca. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So if you've ever heard the, the saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, it really doesn't, right? Isaac does the same thing his father did, which in a way sometimes I feel like is, um, I don't want to say an even worse sin, because all sin is sin, but it almost seems a little bit worse because right, he should have known how wrong this was. Whether his father really told him, like, hey, I did this before, don't do this, or not, right? It's still a story, it's still out there, and Isaac, I, I think, probably would have heard it at some point. He should have known not to do this. He should have known not to do it anyway. But knowing that his father made the same mistake, Isaac should have said, I'm not making the same mistakes as my father did. Either way, a sin is a sin. But what did they do? Well, they lied. What did the people do? They lied. And they lied in such a great way. Isaac lied in such a great way that he actually ends up being thrown out of the land that God told him to stay in. So, it does boil down to Isaac not trusting God, right? It wasn't that Isaac said, I don't trust God to stay in the land that I'm in, so I'm just going to leave. Isaac didn't trust God to protect him in saying, yes, Rebecca is my wife. 
He didn't trust God to protect him against violence from Abimelech, right? So he said, nope, she's my sister because he didn't trust God. And so if you boil it down to the foundation, you see that, well, Isaac didn't trust God, and now because of that, he is being thrown out of the land that God told him to stay in because that's what ends up happening in the story. God actually ends up protecting Isaac in a way where Abimelech says, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to be violent towards you, so I'm going to, in a sense, politely ask you to leave. And Isaac says, okay, I'll leave. And, and that's kind of how the story ends up going. But God actually influences Abimelech in a way. Because Abimelech says, hey, I've seen the presence of the Lord with you, and so I don't, want to, I don't want to be violent towards you. And so God protects Isaac in that way. But Isaac still has to leave the land that God told him to stay in. So what did they do? They lied, and that brought with it consequences. Now, if we we're going to fast forward. It's actually not too far in terms of Scripture. It's the next chapter. But in terms of, of time that goes by, it's quite a bit, because we're going to the next generation. We're going to talk about Jacob and Esau. So those are Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. Now when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, Esau answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare, prepare me the kind of tasty food I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. What is happening? Isaac is planning on passing down the promise, the covenant with God, the blessing to his oldest son, Esau. That is the plan. Now, what we haven't read before is, is earlier on, Rebecca finds out from God that, that, that Jacob is actually the one that's going to end up with the blessing. Jacob is actually the one that's going to end up with the covenant promise with God. And what Jacob has already done is he's already, in a sense, cheated his brother Esau out of his physical inheritance. Right? So, so Esau comes back um, home, and, and Jacob is there, and he's got some stew, and apparently Esau is so hungry that he's going to die. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's actually true or not. Right? I've been in the situation where I'm so hungry I'm going to die, but I could definitely go on for a little bit more and not eat. But Esau comes home, says, "I'm so hungry I'm going to die. Give me some of that that stew." And Jacob says, "Okay, you want the stew? Give me your your physical inheritance. Give me your inheritance." And Esau's like, "Okay," and does it and gives Jacob the inheritance. So Jacob already has the physical aspect of the inheritance, but what hasn't been passed on to him is the blessing. The covenant promise with God. And so this is, this is that, that scene. And so Rebecca kind of knows that Jacob is going to end up with that blessing. We don't know how until this scene happens. And so that's the plan. Isaac is planning on, on passing that blessing to Esau. And then this happens. Now Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the, to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Um, this seems just totally wrong. Why does Rebecca want to do this? Well, actually, the reason why she wants to do it is um, Pastor Matt kind of shared a little bit last week about um, how 
Abraham's family aren't supposed to marry Canaanite women. And Esau has married Canaanite women already. And this has caused Rebekah a lot of anger and frustration and hurt. She despises the fact that her son has married Canaanite women. And so she's upset with him. And this is how she chooses to kind of take it out on him. She doesn't want the blessing to pass through Esau. She wants it to pass through through Jacob. Now, it's still wrong, and it's still, still messed up, but that's how she chooses to do it. And Jacob has his concerns, but his concerns aren't, should we do that? That seems wrong. His concerns are, listen, uh, Esau is a hairy man, and I'm not, so if my father takes my arm, he's going to know it's me and not Esau. And they get around that by using goat skins. And Isaac does actually take uh, Jacob's arm, but he feels hairy. So he's like, okay, that is Esau. And what we find out is that, um, that Isaac passes that blessing on to Jacob. And so if we're tracing the story so far, the blessing passes to Isaac and then to his son, Jacob. It's through terrible means, and it doesn't look very good, but that's, in terms of tracing the story, that's where we're at. The, the blessing is passed to Jacob. So what did they do? Well, they stole. Jacob stole. And Jacob stole something very, very significant. And actually causes Jacob to have to flee where he was living with his family. Because Esau comes back, finds out what has happened, and says, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill Jacob. And Rebecca's like, you've got to leave, Jacob. You've got to get out of here. Because I believe Esau. I believe Esau's going to do that. So Jacob leaves, and he's on the run for quite some time. Now, and, and this, is, this was just a random thought, like personally letting you into the, some of the thoughts that I have sometimes about Scripture. I, I was wondering, well, why, why couldn't Isaac have been like, well, Jacob, you, you received the blessing on terrible terms, so I'm going to revoke that blessing from you and then give it to Esau. I'm sorry, I don't really know the answer fully to that, but that was kind of the thought process I had. I was like, why couldn't he have done that? Apparently he can't, so regardless of if you know, that's really a thought, he can't do that, and so the blessing is passed to Jacob. Anyway, so that's, that's where the story is at. Now fast forward even more. Now this time we are fast forwarding quite a bit in Scripture, but also in time. We're going to fast forward to Jacob's sons. So, here we go. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So Joseph and his brothers. Joseph is the youngest son, and he ends up being his father's favorite son, which, you know, having favorite children, I've, that feels wrong to me. I don't know if it actually is wrong. I don't know. But he does, and so this causes his brothers to be like, I'm upset. I don't like Joseph anymore. And kind of what becomes a physical uh, image of this, this preference that Jacob has for his son Joseph is this ornate robe that he gives him. And so when these brothers go to him, they're, they're upset, they're angry, they don't like Joseph, they decide to get rid of him in a way, so they throw him in a well. Like we're, we don't want Joseph around here. And then they kind of try to figure out what to do. They want to kill him, right? They want to, they want to kill him, but they see... Um, these Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, these people, and they're, they're, they're kind of walking through. And so Judah, he says to his brothers, 
What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. Now, I'm not entirely sure what what the motive is behind this. This could have been Judah saying, I don't want to kill my brother. That seems wrong. This is a good way to get out of that, right? But it also could be Judah legitimately being like, well, we're not going to get anything from it if we kill him, so why don't we just sell him and then we actually get stuff from it, right? I'm encouraged to say that Judah isn't all bad and is you know, not wanting to kill his brother. That's what I'd like to believe. I'm not entirely sure which one of those two it is. Nonetheless, they decide to sell their brother into slavery. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up from out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Now, this is the, the tearing of clothes is a sign of mourning. And so it seems as though Reuben is, is mourning over his brother being gone. And again, this could be one of two things. It could be him mourning over you know, his brother just being gone and he didn't want his brother to be gone. But it also could be him thinking, well, Joseph is gone. How are we going to explain this to Dad? How are we going to explain this to, to our father? We, I'm not entirely sure how to do this. So he, either way, he mourns. And so what they do is they, they then got um, Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on a sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So what did they do? Well, they did the unthinkable. They did the unthinkable. They sold their brother into slavery just because his father seemed, their father seems to prefer him over them. Joseph's brothers did the unthinkable. Now, I'm not, I don't like to be a, a, an entirely negative person. And so far, it seems like we've covered some negative stories that have happened. But I also want to talk about some, something else that these people did, that the people of this story did. So we're going to rewind a little bit. We're going to go back to Jacob and his brother Esau. So Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my lord that I may find favor in your eyes. What is, what is Jacob doing? Well, honestly, he's seeking forgiveness. He's seeking reconciliation with his brother Esau. He wants to find favor in his eyes. So he sends this message ahead, and the messengers come back. And what is, what is the message they bring? When the message, messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Now that does not sound encouraging. That sounds like Esau is still upset, and Esau still wants to kill Jacob. 
because he is bringing 400 men with him. And so, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and the herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Right? A logical plan. I don't know how great of a plan it is, but it's a logical plan. So Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. A very interesting thing to do in a time of crisis. Let's, let's split, split up the family in terms of who I prefer most. Um, I question that. But anyway, he himself went on ahead. Okay, that's admirable. But, you know, he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. And this is, this, is, this is how Esau responds. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. And Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. A beautiful, beautiful scene of reconciliation, of a repaired, not fully repaired, but at least some sort of a repairing of a relationship. An embrace between two brothers who really should hate each other, especially Esau. He should just absolutely despise Jacob. He should have came and killed him, if we're honest, in terms of this time. He should have done that. But he didn't. He ran to Jacob and embraced him and said, Is this your family? Who are these people with you? I'm so excited to see you, Jacob. A beautiful, beautiful scene. And then if we fast forward to chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to, to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the, of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. So again, actually, the brothers seem to be lying to Joseph. They say, we're scared he's going to you know, kill us because of what we did to him. Let's tell them that, that Dad said for him to forgive us. Let, let, let's tell them that, right? And as that message came, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This isn't something, this isn't a for, like a forgiveness scene that someone gives when they're being commanded to do it, right? You see this in children all the time. Hey, go, go. Say, don't forgive your brother. He said, sorry, but I forgive you, whatever, right? And then just move on. This isn't that scene. This is someone who legitimately has made peace in their heart with what has happened. Joseph has made peace in his heart with what has happened. He says, you, you did intend for wrongdoing, for wrongdoing. You did intend for bad things to happen to me. You intended for evil. But guess what? God used that for good, and I'm okay with that. Right? Joseph isn't saying that you, you made, that God made a bad situation good. 
smell. It was still a bad situation. It was still a, a wrong thing to do. But God used that bad situation, those wrong things that, that the brothers did for a good result. And Joseph has made peace with that. So in terms of what did they do? Well, they also forgave. They also forgave. They also sought after reconciliation. They weren't all bad. They weren't all bad. But I also want to look at how God responds to the people of this story. And so we're going to go back to the the story of Isaac. We're going to go back to chapter 26, verse 24. It says, That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And so God makes the covenant. He, He passes the covenant on to Isaac from Abraham. Isaac messes up. He gets kicked out of the land that God said to, to stay in. And then God responds by saying this. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I, I will still bless you. I'm still going to do the things that I promised to do. But in this time, Isaac is still nervous that he's going to be killed by Abimelech for the wrongs that he's done. But God says, do not be afraid. So what did God do? Well, God protected them. He protected them. Don't be afraid, God says. Yeah, I'm going to protect you. I made a promise with your father Abraham that's carried on to you, and so I'm not going to leave you. Now, chapter 28, fast forwarding again to the Jacob story. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now we have established that the way that Jacob came about the blessing is kind of messy and kind of messed up. Nonetheless, he still is the one that the blessing is passed down to. And so God is committed to him. God establishes that, that I will not leave you until this promise that I have made to you is fulfilled. So what did God do? Well, God was committed to his promise. God was committed to it. No matter how Jacob came about the blessing, God is committed to him. God is committed to the promise that he made with Abraham. And as we trace it down, that promise was passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. And so God is like, hey, I'm going to keep this promise. I'm going to be faithful to this promise. Now fast forwarding to the story of Joseph again. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and, and be near me. You, your children, and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. So what did God do in this situation? Well, God provided. God provided. 
Now, it's an interesting case where God provides. But Joseph acknowledges, hey, God put me in the position that I'm in. And now I'm in the position of providing for you guys as you're fleeing a land where, where there's famine happening. Now, if they had stayed in the land that God commanded them to stay in, I would like to believe that God would have still provided for them. He would have been faithful to that promise. Nonetheless, they decide, hey, we're going to go down to Egypt because that's where Joseph's at, and they have food, and he can provide for us because God has placed him in that, that position. So no matter where, where they ended up, God still provides for them. So God protected them in the story of Isaac. God, that God was committed to his promise in the story of Jacob. And as that blessing is carried forward to the brothers of Jacob, or the, the sons of Jacob, God provides for that family. God is faithful all throughout these stories. But in terms of, in terms of the story and carrying it forward and where, where we're at in chapter 50, right, we started with Isaac. So we have Abraham's son, and we see the promise passed on to him. You see Isaac mess up, but that God is still faithful. And then Isaac has his sons, Jacob and Esau, and Jacob ends up with that promise. So it's passed on to him, and God is faithful to Jacob. And then we'll see that the promise kind of ends up passing on to all of Jacob's sons in a way. Some of them end up with a better part of the deal than others. But those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Because Jacob is actually called Israel at different points through Genesis. And so what we see in terms of our story and, and, and kind of wrapping up the story part of this sermon, we see that promise passed on and we end up with the 12 brothers and they are in Egypt. They are in Egypt and in terms of ending the story, that's kind of where we're going to end, this, end the story, right? Things seem to be okay in Egypt, but actually they end up souring. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up the story next week is with how that relationship soured and kind of what ends up happening throughout that. But in terms of our story this week, we've talked about three generations. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph and his brothers. Joseph ends up in Egypt in a prominent position, too, because God wanted to provide for him, right? And so they are in Egypt and things are about to sour. But also, I wanted, I wanted to bring a couple applicational points for us this morning, too. So in terms of the moral of the story, well, God is faithful. God is absolutely faithful. And I'm okay with us being reminded of, of this consistently. But we see all throughout this story that God is entirely faithful to the people He's made a covenant promise with. He is so faithful to these people, right? They mess up a lot, yeah. They also do some good things. And all throughout everything, God is faithful to His people. He's made a promise with them. He says, I am going to remain faithful to you. I'm, gonna, I'm committed to the promise no matter what happens. We're going to figure it out. My plan will be enacted. It will come to fruition. What we also see is that our relationships, they can be complicated. But reconciliation is possible. We see it with Isaac. He definitely complicates the situation between him and Abimelech. Things don't fully come to reconciliation with them, 
We didn't read much about that, but he complicates that relationship. We see that Jacob compliment, com- complicates his relationship with Esau. We see that reconciliation is possible with those two. We see that the eleven brothers complicate their relationship with Joseph. We also see throughout that situation that reconciliation is possible. Now, reconciliation is, is a complicated subject. And that doesn't always mean that our relationships become exactly like how they used to be. Like we don't just forgive and forget. Honestly, there are some situations where, where safety is a main concern and your relationship should not look like how it used to. But there's still forgiveness that can be found within those relationships. And reconciliation is complicated too because it's a two-way street. Right? Sometimes one, one, one party legitimately wants to see that relationship repaired and reconciliation to happen, and the other party couldn't care less about it. But reconciliation is still possible. Is the key word. It is possible. And as believers, I, I think, I believe that we are to be seeking out reconciliation wherever possible. Now, reconciliation is also possible with God. Because we can complicate our relationships with God, can't we? We definitely complicate that relationship sometimes. The Romans 5 says this, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Right? Jesus died. Yes. But through His life, even more so, we are reconciled to God. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So reconciliation is possible within our relationships. We complicate those relationships, but reconciliation is still possible. But the thing about our relationship with God is the only possible form of reconciliation with God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Right? We're, I'm, I'm teaching a class through, through Galatians and, and James. But in Galatians, the issue is that they, they think that reconciliation is possible through the law. They're like, well, we can, we can, we can do it, right? We can accomplish this. And no, that's not true. Full reconciliation only comes through Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is trying to get across to these Galatian believers. But that's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. What Jesus did on the cross for us is an amazing and beautiful and wonderful thing. And we should, we should be grateful for that. And I know that it's hard every day to be grateful for everything in life, right? But it's something that we should come back to each and every day to say, hey, Jesus did do this for me. Jesus does make it possible for me to be in a right relationship with God. He makes that possible for me. And that is beautiful and that is good. And so as we talk about these relationships between people in, in Genesis, right, they get complicated, but reconciliation is possible. But these people also complicated their relationship with God, but He remains faithful to them. And He remains faithful to His people all throughout Scripture, and He remains faithful to us to this day. And He does so through His Son, Jesus Christ. He is faithful to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And yes, I think we should be grateful for that. Because it's beautiful and it's good.
So, in terms of next steps, I'd like to encourage you, if you are feeling led to make a decision for Christ today, it's a wonderful day to do that. If, if this sounds like something, being a relationship repaired with God, a reconciliation with God, if that sounds like something you are being led to, to make a choice for, we encourage you to do that. You can come forward uh, in this next song. You can um, contact the church office throughout the week, and we'd love to chat with you about that. Also, sign up for a Connect class. These are cl- classes that happen on the first Sunday of each month, where we kind of just go through what, what this church looks like and what it would look like for you to be a part of this church, uh, the history of, of the church in general, and some different beliefs that we have. And so if you're interested in that, I encourage you to sign up for one of those. And also join a small group. These are wonderful ways for you to be in relationship with people, connecting with people, talking about, um, just talking about Jesus and, and building up your relationship with God and with others. And so we encourage you to check those out. Or you can join a service team. It's a wonderful way to get involved with serving um, here at church and the community. Um, so we'd love to get you to be a part of those as well. Um, with that, I'm going to pray for us as we close, and then uh, we will sing our final song. Father, we just we praise you so much for who you are and what you do. Um, we're so thankful that reconciliation is possible with with you. We we are just we praise you that uh, you sent your Son to die for us to to, to raise from the dead to conquer death so that we might be able to have a right relationship with you. We praise you for those things. We, um, we just praise you for Scripture and how we're able to look at different stories throughout Scripture and just chat about how those, um, the, the truth about those and see the story of your people, the story of, of our faith. We just thank you for that. We praise you so much for, um, for speaking through your word this morning. Father, we love you so much and we praise you. In your name, we pray. Amen.